Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. I also want to thank you and welcome you for being here this morning. Now, today, we are setting a table for 5,000. We're looking at the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Now, this is probably the most famous, miraculous story in the Bible. Everyone kind of talks about this. It's found in all four Gospels. Uh, It has fascinated people throughout the ages Way back, in fact, an archaeological dig has unearthed uh, near, near, it was called a village of uh, Tabgatha, near the Sea of Galilee, archaeologists found this ancient mosaic telling the story of the fish and the loaves. This is at least 1,700 years old. So it's been, this story has been an important part of, of, the, of the biblical story, of the Jesus story. People have been fascinated with the story of this miracle. Why? Today we're going to look at why. Why did Jesus do this? I mean, he could have just snapped his fingers and happy meals were there for everybody, right? So he didn't. He did this in a very bizarre, kind of different kind of way. Why did he take five loaves, two fish, and miraculously feed 5,000 people with it? It had to be about something more than lunch. had to be about more than something than lunch. All four gospel writers include it in their account of Jesus. Why? So let's look at the context. Look at the context of Luke, Luke chapter 9, where this miracle is found. So if you have your flat screens, your Bibles, look at at, uh, Luke chapter 9. And Luke chapter 9 starts with the disciples being sent out, sent out to proclaim the gospel, to tell people about Jesus with zero, zero resources. And this is how it starts. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. He specifically says, go and leave everything behind. Don't take anything with you. Literally, no resources, zero. And then when they get back, he decides to take them off for a little debrief on what happened. Luke doesn't record that anything really cool happened. We don't have any account in Luke chapter 9 of anything really happening in their ministry. So I think he takes them on a staff retreat. And basically he says, let's head out into the wilderness. And and, and we're going to talk about what happened and why you saw nothing happen. And as they head out to the wilderness, pretty soon word gets out, right? And literally thousands and thousands of people who have heard Jesus, Jesus before, have been wanting to hear him for the first time, uh, they start to come in. They find out where they're at, and they start to surround them to get a glimpse of who this Jesus is. Maybe hear some teaching, maybe see a miracle or two. And what started off as a staff retreat for 12 people turned into Festival One. Just like that. Boom, it just happened. And thousands of people are there. And it's a problem. It's a real problem. Because unlike Festival One, there are no food trucks there. There are no vendors there. There's no ice being delivered. Let's pick it up at verse 12 of chapter 9. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place here. And he replied, Well, you give them something to eat. 
Seriously, Jesus? You got jokes now? We're surrounded by thousands of people. They're all hungry, and you want us to feed them. Now, John writes about this story in the Gospel of John as well. And he gives a few more details. They all give kind of different details of each story. And he says that Jesus then replied to that and said, um, he asked us only to test them. Because he had in mind what he was already going to do. Many commentators write that this was like an object lesson for the disciples. That Jesus was going to give them something and teach them something and show them something right after a really, really bad short-term mission trip. Right? They just went off on a short-term mission trip and they saw nobody. Nobody received Jesus. Nobody got healed. Nobody showed up for the big tent meetings. Nothing happened. They're kind of down. And he gives them an object lesson to learn from what happened before so it doesn't happen again. And so the disciples stop. He says, really? Go feed them? They look at each other. They're like, he's crazy. He's crazy. So then they replied to him, and they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for the whole crowd. And then we're told about 5,000 men were there. Now, that's impossible, right? You can't go buy food for that many people because 5,000 men were there. Um, We only have a little. The need is so huge, and we only have a little, and the need is massive. But what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to do, and I think he's trying to get us to do, you and me, as we look forward to what he wants to do here in Hamilton City, is to look at the huge challenges that are ahead. Look at the huge opportunities that are ahead, but look at them differently. So I think there are three questions. Three questions from this story that we get asked Three questions from this story and this miracle event that needs us to answer. Questions that will actually help us kind of face our own, I don't know, internal response, internal fear, internal risk assessment, internal prejudgments that determines what kind of impact you individually will have in your life and what kind of impact we as a church community will have. And the first question is this. What do I think is too big for God to handle? What do I think is too big for God to handle? Because if you're really honest with yourself, what do you think is going on in your life right now, right now, some problem that you're facing that is just too big, some challenge that is just too big for God to handle? Maybe you want to see a habit in your life change. You've been trying for years to stop this habit, and you can't. Uh, maybe it's your kid's situation. Your kids are facing a real challenge, and you just want to see that change. Maybe it's somebody you know and love and care for who does not know Jesus, and you're just praying and hoping against hope that someday they would choose to trust Jesus. And you just can't see that ever, ever happening. See, the disciples in this case thought the crowd was too big. The pastor says that there are about 5,000 men there, which means there are a whole lot more people than just 5,000. 5,000 men means there were probably another 5,000 women, plus another, what, 10,000 kids being conservative? So there is between fifteen and 20,000 people all hungry, waiting for lunch, all right? This is like day two at Easter camp, long lines, and, and it's pie day, and there's not enough pies for everybody. So the disciples have to decide, and they decided that it is literally impossible literally impossible to fulfill the need of what is laid out before them. It's too big, even for Jesus to handle. And we've all been there. We have all been there. Turn on the TV and just see what is going on around the, in the news. I mean, it is day 641 
of the Ukraine war. It has just been going on and on and on. Gaza continues to see the death toll raise. Read the, read the local news and watch the local news channel and, and you'll see gang violence is up and homelessness is up and cost of living is up and we got a three-way government. I mean, it's just all going to go crazy, right? Look at your own life. Look at your own family challenges. Kids growing up too fast. Um, health issues and fear about the future. When I look at Hamilton, look at our city. When you look at Hamilton, there are about 185,000 people in Hamilton. The new census that's about to come out in the next year, they estimate that there are under 20,000 people in Hamilton that report being connected to any church at all. Therefore, also connected to Jesus at all. 20,000 people out of 185,000 in this city. It is easy to say, why bother? It is so easy to say, it's too much. It's just too much. I'm not even going to try to do anything because it's just too big to even start. It's impossible to even scratch the surface. I am overwhelmed by the needs of this world, the needs of my family, especially when I compare the needs to my own resources, my own energy, my own bank account, my own uh, uh, stuff that I have to serve others, my time, my talent, my energy. You feel like there is nothing you can do to make a difference. I don't have what it takes to fix the situation. And that's the second question this passage highlights for us. And that is this. What do I think is too little for God to work with? Read that question again. What do I think is too little for God to work with? Now think about this a little bit. Maybe it's you. Maybe you think you are the the weakest link in this change. Maybe it's your own time, your own talents, your own abilities that just frustrate you. You have a vision, you have a dream, and you feel like you just can't pull it off. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough energy. There's not enough talent. There's not enough hope in the world. I like to do it, but I'm just not enough. And there's a reason why you feel that way. Because you're right. We're all right when we think that. This is not a, you can do it, pep talk, all right? This is not a, just come on, your attitude affects your altitude. and It's not like that, right? It's not a, be positive, you're awesome, God made you powerful. Just go, it's not that kind of a message. It's not that kind of a story. The lesson from this miracle is that you're probably right. The need is huge. And your abilities and your resources are so small. The need of Hamilton City is huge. And HCBC, we're just so small. See, the lesson here that we're going to look at is that you just got to start with what you have. And then watch what God does. Just start with what you got and watch what God does. Throughout the Bible, it's this story over and over and over and over again. The lesson is to start with what little you have. David takes what? Five little stones out of a riverbed and takes out Goliath. Right? Start with what you got. See what God does. Hannah battles uh, infertility uh, for her whole life. Finally gets one son. And as a result, that one son, after all these years of infertility, dedicates her little boy to Samuel, which means she hands her little boy over to Samuel to train to be a priest. 
He ends up being a great prophet as a result of her uh, commitment to God in this. And then God blesses her with three more sons and, and two more daughters. See, the point of scripture is that I alone can do nothing, nothing. But God, by his grace, he saves. See, God knows that we don't have what it takes, but he still asks for whatever we have. He doesn't need us, but this story shows he delights in using us. Delights in watching our reaction to the miracle that just happens before us, and you go, wow. He's like, yeah, you got it. That's right, I'm God. You're not. Let's do this together. It happens when you want to serve him. It happens when the disciples say, man, we only have five loaves, two fish. Now, let's check their math for a second, all right? All right, you got to get your phones out if you need your phones. Big math, all right? Big math here. Look at that sentence again. We only have five loaves and two fish. Were they right? I mean, assuming the scripture is right, and assuming the Bible has been fact-checked, and all four accounts say the same thing, which they do. They only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Is that correct? Yeah, of course it is. They only have five loaves of bread and two fish, and they literally have only... Wait, actually, wait, where are they? They, they followed who out to the wilderness? We're forgetting one major part of this whole equation, aren't we? One major part. Oh, yeah, we're in church. The right answer is always Jesus, right? It's Jesus. They also had Jesus. See, we forget that part of the equation. Um, It's always the safe answer, right in church, but it's always the right answer when you choose to follow him. Jesus, the guy that they had just seen turn water into wine. Jesus, the guy who they have seen heal countless a countless amount of people before that point. Jesus, the guy who just in chapter 8, the chapter before this, they saw him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. They watched him raise a little girl from the dead. The chapter right before this. Oh, yeah. We have five loaves. We have two fish. We got this guy. We got one Jesus. See, they're called the disciples for a reason. We, we forget this, right? And so are we. We've been watching him do all these miracles. You've seen him do miracles in your whole life. And if you take some time to sit back, go for a walk. Oh, yeah, he did this. Oh, yeah, he showed up. Oh, that's right. And then you remember what this one Jesus can do in whatever situation you're facing right now. Look at what this one Jesus does in this situation. Picking up at verse 14. He said, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Ever done that? When you realize, man, I don't got enough what it takes. I, I, I mean, rates are going up and petrol's going up and food's going up and, and I just don't have enough to make this work. And now we're heading into Christmas and all the families coming over. We're going to give them soup. And you're like, what are we going to do? And just in the midst of all that, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. You stop and you give thanks and you give thanks for what you do have. Even though it seems like there's not enough, it's a powerful prayer. It's a 
It's a reminding prayer. It's a refocusing prayer. It's a prayer that totally changes your perspective. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And they all ate. Thousands of them, right? 15 to 20,000. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. He didn't just apply. He over-applied. He abundantly supplied, right? He doesn't just save our life. He saves our life for all of eternity. He does everything bigger than what we think. There's a phrase where God guides, God provides. I saw that on Instagram. It's stuck. I, I, I can't even tell you who said it. It was just an Instagram thing. But there's a principle where God guides, God provides. And by the way, heading into 2024, our focus next year, uh, 2024, is going to be, we're going to figure out what we're here for. That's what 2024 is all about next year. That How is God guiding us? And it's going to be a fun year. We're going to go on city walks. I'm going to ask you to attend Hamilton City festivals and art events and, and, and uh, markets and have meals with each other and meals with your neighbors and have kind of mission uncovering conversations. 2024 is going to be a lot of fun. Very different next year for us. Very different because we're going to uncover what, it, we, what he has us here for because where God guides, God provides. The miracle story here shows us that Jesus takes what we give and he multiplies it. And when you believe that, you have the confidence to step out into a new situation and go forward. When you believe that, you have the courage to live into that and see amazing things happen. God turns our little lunch into a catered banquet for everybody usually for the sake of everybody else. But you never know that unless you first take that first step. I got five loaves, I got two fish. Back in the days when I was teaching at Cary Baptist College, um, a group of us, 12 of us, started, no, 15 of us, started a little group called Tableside. It was a little missional church, a little home church. And that little home church decided... Look, the needs around us are massive. And where we were living, there was crime everywhere and tagging everywhere. And the downtown village that we lived near in, in Auckland was just a mess. It was just falling apart a mess. And all the time you meet with people and you, you catch up with people, it's always a complaint, right? You make friends in New Zealand by complaining together. And so it's just always complaints, right? And it's like, oh, man, have you seen the news today? Oh, yeah, another store got broken into. And we finally said, you know, we ought to just do something. Let's just do something. So we started talking about that. It was all kind of whining together. And then we started uh, reading some scripture and realized, we oh, actually, God's probably asking us to do something because we paid attention to it. We know there's a problem. And so this little group started to read scripture together and started to consider ideas. We started pulling our little bit of resources. And we got to the point where if we heard of a story of somebody in need, our answer was always yes. And then well, how much can we do? It was never we could fix the whole thing. But if anyone asked for any kind of help, we just said, yeah, we'll help. And then we just got to figure out how much can we help. We'll start with a little. And this little group grew to a church on a Sunday of about 70 people. Only met every other week. But the other two weeks we met, instead of doing church, we met in the community around a need that we found. It might have been a family whose daughter had just been diagnosed that um, without a filtered 
uh, kind of climate-controlled, locked-in homes, sealed homes, she was going to die. So we did a huge fundraiser, and we raised all the money to systematically seal off their house and put in filter heaters and, and air filters and all this kind of stuff so that she could live. Uh, another guy who was a, 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 a barber and, and a hair salon guy in the local area, he, we found out that he was doing uh, free haircuts for the elderly and doing free blue rinses and stuff. And, um, and but we also found he was also our local drug dealer. And so he did both to kind of make ends meet. So we got involved. I started getting my hair cut there, started hearing his story. And we started talking about, he loved the fact that I was a religious man because he was a spiritual man and he would astro project around the city to find out where his next drug deal was. And, um, and so we started talking stories and we found out his business was tanking. So we coached him on his business. We totally did our full extreme makeover of his hair salon. And in this process, he's like, what's up with you people? You like a cult? And we go, no, no, no. We're just this. We love Jesus. Jesus loves you. This is how we do things. And, uh, over time, he trusted us. He became part of us. He gave his life to Jesus and he started spreading the word to everybody. And this thing just took off. And all of a sudden in our little area, crime went down. Uh, tagging went down. Uh, the whole city village was refreshed and we got different corporations coming getting help. I got asked by Auckland City Council to go in and meet with community, uh, community, uh, workers and show them how do you rally up people around a cause in the community. And I said, well, you gotta work in two groups that you're not used to working with. You gotta work with churches because they care first and then let them connect with other community groups and you'll see what happens. We went from a group of 70 on a Sunday to every other weekend. We would have 300 to 500 people come together, make a difference. We start with a prayer. We have some food. We tell them we're table side. We're, we're part of this church, and this is why we do this. And slowly people started receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Start with what you got, 15 people, and just see what happens. I'm convinced I know without a doubt that God is going to do some profound things through the people that are in this room right now. I have no question about it whatsoever. Um, so I want to pose a final question. I want to pose a final question. And I want you to ask yourself this. What will I do because I believe God will provide? What will I do? Look what happens in this event, in this miraculous event. Um, as a result of this, moving forward to Luke chapter 10, we read that after this, after everyone was fed, after all this happened, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. Luke writes that when they come back from this short-term mission field, um, they had great reports after this. As you continue to read chapter 10, you hear the amazing reports of what happened on this short-term mission trip, as opposed to the one that happened the, the chapter before. You get the context of what's happening here? See, chapter 9 starts with Jesus sending them out on a short-term mission trip, and they come back, and there's nothing good to report, because they all try to do everything on their own. And so Jesus does this object lesson. Give me your loaves, give me your fish, watch me multiply. And then he says, now, let's try this again. Go back out again. And then just showing how that miracle of feeding is linked to the miracles they saw in chapter 10. We read in the next verse of chapter 10. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what's out there. 
This is just like this lunch story. It's a big task. It's enormous. I can't even deal with my own family, let alone the stuff that's going on around me. The resources are so small. And you're right. But Jesus says, remember what you learned. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. You just start. You just start going. And as you go, ask the Lord to send more. Just start. Put your little piece into play. Give me your little loaves and your little fishy lunch. Watch me multiply it into a banquet. So how do we apply this? How do we live this out as HCBC? Before I give you an example, I want to highlight a couple of principles. This is how I've always seen church life. And, and so I'm not the pastor that says, sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up. However, the last three Sundays I've been asking to sign up for stuff. I, I get that. But there's some principles about how do we get involved. And let me just highlight a few things. This is how I look at everything that has to do with church life. Number one principle, Christianity is a team sport. It's a team sport. Um, John 13, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Ministry is not a sole proprietorship. That when God asks you to do something, he never asks you to do it by yourself. He never intended you to do it by yourself. I have real issues that people say, my ministry. No, it's not your ministry. It's God's ministry. And he wants a lot of people involved. He sent out the disciples by twos, right? Even when Jesus went out to do his thing, he brought three other people with him. Because spirituality is not a private relationship between you and God. It's just not a me and God thing. It's not be like, look, I like this. I don't like that. I'll, you know, I can fathom this. I can't handle that. So I'll ignore that part of the Bible. No, no, no. We do it together so that when you come across parts of the Bible that you don't quite get, you know, you work it out together. That's why when you read the word you in the Bible, it's actually y'all. You read y'all. God, God says, what, I, I, I've come to bless y'all. And it's, it's all of us, right? It's not just you individual. Second principle, even Jesus and the disciples needed a break. He doesn't ask you to keep doing more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Uh, Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this case, Jesus was surrounded by huge need in this story. The disciples were overwhelmed, we read. That's why they're freaking out. And, and they have just come from this. And Jesus has limited time. He knows what's going to happen on Easter, right? He's got limited time frame. He says, I can't do it all. We can't do everything. Even Jesus and his disciples took a break. And you can do that only if you realize the third principle on church involvement, and that is this. Not every need and opportunity has our name on it, ACBC, or has your name on it. Christians are notorious for drive-by guilt. Notorious. Um, This is my passion and my ministry, so it has to be your passion and your ministry too. And therefore, you've got to get on board. You've got to help. Whatever need God has put on that person's heart Often Christians just can't understand why it's not on everybody else's heart as well, at, at, at the same time. Obviously, I need to speak longer and louder about it. And, and i got to force you into it. And, and, and we get the wrong idea. See, our task as a church is to seek what the God has put on our hearts that he wants us to put the HCBC name onto. 2024. See what we're here for. 
It's not to strive to meet every single need out there. There's too many. So next year, we're going to uncover what is he asking us to put our name on. And we need to do it individually as well. Individually, um, you need to ask God, what is it you want me to put my name to? Because if you don't ask that question, and you don't listen to his answer on that, otherwise what happens is you live in one of two extremes. One extreme is, I must meet every need that is out there, and therefore you live with constant guilt and fatigue and an empty bank account. Or two, you hit compassion overload, and you just shut down. I don't see that need, I don't see that need, I don't see that hand, I don't see that hand. And, and therefore, you don't see the needs that Jesus has placed right in front of you that he actually has put your name on. And then the final principle is this. When God puts a need in front of you, you do your best to meet it. You give your five loaves and two fish. You give what you got and watch God do the rest. Um, we're about to head into the Christmas stories next week as we look getting prepared for Christmas. The guy, here's a heads up on a Christmas story. The guy who put no room in the inn sign up on that motel was not the hero of the Christmas story, right? He could have been. He could have been the guy that these two, this married couple comes here, they're about to have a baby, and she's like, on the, on the donkey or whatever she's doing. And, um, and it's like, he could have said, look, come on in here, take my room, take my room, just take my room. And if he was smart, he could have done that. And then a couple of years later, he could have put a sign up and he could have charged five times the amount for that room. Come stay in the room where Jesus was born, right? He messed up. He had a, missed a great business opportunity. But the guy who put no room in the end was not the hero of the Christmas story. Um, Mark 6 talks about how the, uh, the Jesus and disciples, they come to this place to feed the 5,000 and they are exhausted they're exhausted emotionally and physically. Um, Jesus' cousin, John, had just had his head cut off. He is distraught emotionally. There's been no food, no sleep. Uh, they've been serving and helping and healing and teaching everybody. They get on a boat to take a break. They show up. There's this huge crowd there that says, teach us, help us, teach us, help us. And what does Jesus do? He says, oh, sorry, I'm on holiday right now. No, he does. The need's right in front of him. And he teaches, and he heals, and he prays, and he feeds them. And then after that, they go to Pepamoa and take a break. <laughs> See, that's why as a church, we will always have a chair open. We will always have a parking spot open. We'll always have a living room available for people to join your life group. Because God brings people who want to hear Jesus, who need Jesus, who need people who know Jesus to walk alongside them. That need is real. It's in front of our face. We always got to be available for that. But we just do what we can, which means got to say no to some other things. The key phrase, I think, in, in this story comes from this. It's just, you give them something to eat. I think Jesus just says, you give them something to eat. It might be in children, might be intermediates, might be in high school, might be in your living room with a life group, might be your neighbor that you live next door to, might be a workmate that you work with or someone that's part of a club or a, an institution that you do outside of work. You give them something to eat. Not the guy next to you. You give them something to eat. Not out of guilt. Not out of some kind of weird evangelical guilt drive-by. Because you want to do it. Because God said, put your name on this. And that's the kind of confidence you'll walk into as you exude Jesus to those people. It's infectious. And he'll have you shine because it'll be his sun shining through you 
as you just reach out to that person in front of you. Let's pray. I want to ask that you just have a moment of silence right now. That you would just privately consider what the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 means for you. What's Jesus saying to you right now? I got to do this earlier as I was preparing this week and I very clearly heard Jesus say, I'm enough. All those pastoral concerns you got, just give them to me. He created the world. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose again from the dead. He's here with us now. Whatever it is that feels too big for you to handle, give it to him. Whatever little bit of bread he's asking you to give to him, to feed others with, give it to him. Lord Jesus, please just show how great you are in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our need. Because you are God, and we are not. In your name, Jesus. Amen.